So perhaps the worst movie to ever choose to watch while you're suffering COVID brain fog would be a multiverse movie. But you wanted to do this movie, so we're doing this movie. And <laughs> I'm just mildly ticked off about it. Not in the not not like literally in the sense now, but I definitely had numerous moments watching the movie where I'm like, I have COVID. Why am I watching this? <laughs> hey, I told you we could skip this week or go late this week and wait for you to be better, but you insisted. So really, it's your fault. I have only so many times in my week that I can watch movies, and uh, Friday night was gonna be the last time until the next Friday night. So take it where you can get it, and I took so, it. So, dear audience, it's your fault. You have forced Aaron to watch a movie while he is sick. For anyone who hasn't realized it, we're talking about everything everywhere all at once. So COVID fog aside, how did you like this movie? I, I think it was a fascinating take on a lot of genres. It was very unexpected. Like it, it, was, a genuine, there were, it was a genuinely surprising movie to me. I hadn't heard much about it before watching it. Not in terms of its plot, right? I knew it was a multiverse movie. I knew that it had, you know, Michelle Yeoh. I knew that it had Kehe Kwan, which I think I'm pronouncing that name correctly. I don't even know if I pronounce his name correctly. We'll, okay, well, we'll call it good for now. The actual Chinese speaker has given me a pass on that. He's uh, Cantonese. His name is Cantonese, and I don't know how to pronounce Cantonese. There we go. Short round. There we go. Short round from Indiana Jones is in this movie well into his 40s or 50s at this point after a long career as a stunt coordinator. So I knew he was in it. I knew she was in it. Multiverse angle. Other than that, I didn't really know anything about it. Uh, I didn't even know who to... I knew the Russos were somehow involved. Uh, they were the producers of the Captain America and Avengers movies and the community. Which actually, it, I think, if anything showed in this movie, you'd, you'd think it would be their Marvel chops, but I think it was actually their community chops that showed the most in this film. There was just a lot. Like, I, I can literally think of everyth everything from like one scene had me like cringing, what I can only describe as paper cut body horror. Oh, just yeah. Just, just, just had me in like, like literally physically cringing. And then there's a scene... Uh, mild spoilers, uh, as again, multiverse movie. There is a universe where people have fingers that are hot dogs, and they do a riff on the opening scene of 2001 A Space Odyssey, <laughs> but with the monkeys with hot dog fingers winning the fight in front of the obelisk with the stick. And my wife had to like, I think she almost paused the movie like to ask if I was okay. Cause I was, I was just like slumped at like tears streaming down my <laughs> face laughing. And then there were scenes in it that are like, like very, very touching that I would describe as more of a family drama. So this scene just, this movie, excuse me, just takes, it, it takes your expectations, what little at least I had and just completely surpassed them, but also like kind of went around them. Um, I mean, this thing has literally has this, this. There's a scene in this movie that involves two rocks talking to each other. Um, I thought the dialogue was really, really good. I really mm -hmm. liked that. There is a lot of setup and payoff in the film. Uh, I think, I think we're gonna have to talk about. Um, oh crap! What's his name? Someone Chekhov. I think we're gonna have to talk about Chekhov's Auditor of the Year award. From, from <laughs> Um, and, and it was, it was really thought provoking, but also really, 
It wasn't transgressive. And I think that's something that a lot of movies these days, if they're not part of a big franchise, their entire thing is they want to make you think, quote unquote. And I find that generally pretentious and annoying. I, I, I am very much a believer in escapism in most of my media. It's like if I want to think about like the horrors of man, I'm a psychologist. That's literally what I do for a living. Like I, I want something fun to escape. Don't don't put your peanut butter in my chocolate. I'm allergic to peanut butter, kind of a thing. Like keep keep my keep my fun movies fun and my non and, and my real life real. And a lot of movies I found kind of like when I when they, they, there's like the part of the movie where the plot basically stops and they're like here is the message. And I didn't feel there was a single second of this movie that did that. It was like the perfect show don't tell. Uh, I, I, I was surprised at how much I liked it, considering I don't think I'm in any way its ideal audience. Or not maybe, not, maybe not its ideal audience. I don't think I'm, I'm in any way its um, target audience. I'm not a huge sci-fi person. I'm, I don't even know if sci-fi is their target audience. I'm not. I'm frankly not sure this movie had a specific target audience in mind. Well, the last movie of theirs I watched was Swiss Army Man. I think it's actually the only other full-length movie they've done. And my 10-second synopsis of Swiss Army Man is a man finds a dead Daniel Radcliffe and through the power of love and farts carries this, this dead body around his back and finds the meaning of life. And I watched that film, and I was like, never again. I, am, I, I didn't hate the film. Was it bad? No. But I'm like, I don't have the spoons to watch movies like this. And this did not give me those vibes. So like, I am not a hit. I'm not the sort of person I think that they're going for. For context, I mean, I, I actually haven't seen Swiss Army Man, but the way you describe Swiss Army Man sounds to me like, oh, this is like a indie, thought-provoking... yes. It is. Yeah, which is funny because the thing that I know Daniels for um, is turned down for what? They did the absolutely viral turned down for what music video, which was so... I, I, I can't even really fully... It was so strange and not offensive, but I, I, you use the word transgressive saying that this film isn't that. I actually think this this film and also turned down for what is very transgressive in that it really just like breaks what we normally expect and does it in ways where you're like, I didn't even realize that was a boundary that my brain did not want to cross and we're crossing it. That's fair. We can put my, tra the, my use of the word transgressive in a derogatory way in air quotes. Right. Ironically. Yeah. Turned down for what did, I mean, okay, if you haven't seen it, go see it. It's, you know, it's a music video. It's wild. And then just remi remind yourself that the two guys who did that, one of whom is the main character in the Turn Down For What video, apparently they tried to find someone else to do it. They couldn't find anyone else to be that wild. And so he was like, I'm fine. I'll do it. That video is just, it just does things where you're like, that, that thing is normally like sexual or seductive. And it's really not because of the way you're doing it. Or like this thing would normally be seen as horrifically violent, but it's like weirdly not because of the way in which you're doing it. And I find them really interesting and unique in the way that they they do film. I haven't seen Swiss Army Man. It sounds like a very different kind of film. It is. But everything everywhere all at once feels like a return to that sort of insanity, for lack of a better word. Especially with the... Um universe switching when they go through different universes like there's obviously the more traditional like what if style scenario 
every choice we make, you know, there's the counterfactual choice, so that splits off the universe, right? And so if you jump over enough universes, you're in something absolutely bizarre where people have hot dogs for fingers or the people exist as pinatas or life never evolved, so they're rocks. Like, like those were some of my favorite scenes just because they were so... No, they weren't my absolute favorite scenes, but they were some of my favorite scenes because they were just so wild. And then there's alternately a scene where somebody... Like I, my only note for this one scene was Fanny Pack. There's just incredible, like... Not quite John Wick levels, but John Wick-esque fight, you know, Hong Kong-inspired fight scenes with a fanny pack. It, it, it has a similar vibe to, like, the Jackie Chan ladder fight, where it's just you're taking something that you don't expect to be very useful <laughs> in a fight and making it exceedingly useful. There's a later scene where uh, Jenny Slate does that with her Pomeranian. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I really love about the way that they, they jump universes is that every universe they jump to seems to be a reference to a different kind of film. Um, you have a reality that is essentially a Wong Kar Wai romance film, and it's done with a very specific style, and then you have the one that's a 2001 Space Odyssey. You have the Hot Dog Finger universe, I think, reads to me like some sort of like gentle romantic drama. There's definitely a very specific filming style and specific color palette that is really undercut by the fact that everyone has hot dogs for fingers and plays piano with their feet. Um, among other things. Among other things. Um, but I love that there's there's clearly so much love for cinema in the way that they choose to film every universe differently. But I realize we've been talking for a bit and we haven't even like done a little summary of the plot which i feel like we should do for people who haven't seen if you haven't seen this movie it might be best for you to go see this movie and then come back to this episode even after i watched the movie i read a plot summary and i'm like well that was no help at all so this like, is summarizing true. this plot is hard summarizing this plot is hard we are going to i am going to try for the sake of people who have not seen this movie and are for some reason determined to listen to this episode anyway you're being silly, go see the movie. Um, but to summarize, Everything Everywhere All at Once is about a woman named Evelyn who runs a failing laundromat with her husband and her daughter and is generally struggling. Like she's getting audited. Her daughter is gay and she doesn't really know how to deal with that. Her husband and her are having relationship problems. Like just everything seems to be going wrong and she can't seem to do anything right. She's never made anything of her life. And then one day her husband appears possessed and tells her he's actually her husband from a different universe and that they need her help. She is the key to saving their infinite multiverses from an evil force called Jobu Topaki. It's a complete nonsense word. It's fine. And the reason she is has to be the one to save them is because she is the one Evelyn who never did anything with her life. And therefore, she has the maximum potential to do everything. That's an okay-ish premise summary, right? That, that'll do for now. Yeah, I think that's, that's good enough. We might, like, we might give a little more detail as we move forward just with specific scenes depending on what we talk about. But yeah, I think mm. that, that that's a good summary for now. Yay. Um, but yes, I, I love this movie. This is, this may be my, the year isn't over yet, but this is so far my favorite movie of the year and possibly my favorite movie the last couple years. It is maybe one of the most 
unique things you'll see in that it's a maximalist film. Like, you need to go into this film ready to have a lot thrown at you because a lot will be thrown at you. So by maximalist, you mean like obviously the opposite of minimalist, but you mean, yes. you, so what do you, can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah. Maxim, yeah. Maximalism is the opposite of min, minimalism is trying to reduce everything down to the simplest and, and, you know, doing the most with the least maximalism, <laughs> which I'm not sure anyone's really clearly defined, but a lot of people have been using that word to describe this film. Maximalism is throwing everything at your audience in hopes that it communicates something to them that maybe minimalism couldn't or couldn't do as well. And I, I think this film, in particular because of the themes that it's trying to talk about, maximalism works for it in a way that I think it doesn't for a lot. Like I would say some some Marvel films are slowly approaching maximalism and that it's just like, it's just so much, so much CG being thrown at you all the time. But it's not necessarily adding anything to your experience, right? I think we're all getting a little bit tired of Marvel films dropping constant references and so much CG and like 15 billion quips. Like we don't need all of that. But the thing is like the maximalism of a Marvel movie isn't doing anything for it. It's, it's honestly, if anything, it's detracting from your yes. experience. We could do more with like, I think the best Marvel movie in my opinion is still Iron Man, which is the simplest of all the movies. But the kind of maximalism that this film is striving for works because of, in my opinion, because of the themes it's trying to talk about. Because I have never actually seen a film that tackles modernity in quite the same way. One of the, one of the major, Aaron's giving me a face that you can't see. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I find really fascinating about this movie is uh, Evelyn, the main character, has a daughter named Joy. And Joy is... Evelyn is already struggling to handle the many different aspects of her life that are falling apart. But Joy is maybe in her early 20s. And so not only is she dealing with all the stresses of being in your early 20s, but like she is dealing with the fact that everything seems to matter now, right? We live in, a, in an age where the internet is everywhere. Everything is screaming for your attention all the time. And it just gets to be too much. Um, so I am starting to give away some of the emotional plot details here, but I've never seen a movie tackle that problem specifically. Like I've, I've kind of gone through that. My sister is definitely going through that right now where it's just, there are 15 billion things screaming for your attention these days. Um, and all of them are screaming that they matter. And at a certain point it gets to be too much and you start going, if everything matters, then nothing matters. And you become overwhelmed and and there's a character in this film that is very much the personification of that. Of there's a line where she says, I it became too much, so I took everything and put it on a bagel. The joke being it's an everything bagel, but everything. So, you know, every every laugh you've ever laughed, every factoid about the ocean, like everything. And I put it on a bagel <laughs> and it sort of becomes this giant black hole looming in the movie, which is that sense of nihilism that occurs when you're, when too much is asked of you and everything matters entirely too much. Um, and I thought that was a really unique way into it. I've never heard anyone try to talk about that specific problem of like, hey, when I scroll through the internet, I feel an impending sense of doom. <laughs> 
I mean, they call it doom scrolling for a reason. But yeah. I have, you know, all the commentary I've been reading, which isn't, you know, a ton. I've, it's not like that's all I've been doing for the couple of days since I watched it. But I'm not sure if anyone else has a discuss the movie as a critique of modernity or especially like a commentary on zoomer nihilism which kind of seems to be almost what you're what you're discussing is the the i mean i think it works right i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not attacking that interpretation at all it's just interesting because that didn't even necessarily occur to me i think maybe that's because the main character is not joy evelyn's daughter the main character is evelyn yeah who is older and so she's sort of dealing it with it in a different way um, but if you look at like the philosophies at war here, right, the philosophy we're ultimately combating in this film is nihilism. No, that's true. Right. And I, I think it's, and it makes so much sense that it's coming from her daughter and that makes it so much scarier that it's coming from her daughter. Like usually when we see nihilism in films, it's from some like scary old wealthy man. I don't know. I'm trying to remember other movies where nihilism was a major theme. There aren't that many of them. But it's rarely coming from the perspective of someone young. And it's scarier coming from someone that's young. Like, I remember being genuinely a little terrified at Zoomer humor. I don't like that that rhymes. But Generation Z's humor is so nihilistic. It's like, nothing matters, right? Or like, everything is going to pieces, Ha 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 ha! Like, <laughs> it's horrifying if you think about it. I I am kind of a fan of Zoomer humor, but <laughs> I mean, I I've learned to enjoy it too. But like, if you think about it a little bit too hard, you're like, that's something has happened to your generation for your for your sense of humor to be like that. I think that the Zoomer humor is more absurdist, and I think absurdism and nihilism are much closer than people want to admit mm -hmm. uh the difference like it's it, almost to the point that the difference is nothing is real versus nothing matters or nothing is sacred versus nothing matters mm -hmm. um so like you know there's there's like zoomer humor really you know revolves around like in the physical memes right like visual memes revolves around in making intentionally low quality you know low res pictures right or or exhibiting a lack of effort um, that's very close to nihilism. And I guess, like, it is, it is interesting you bring that up because, yeah, like, I think the actress who plays Joy is actually older than me. Like, she's, yeah, I just looked it up. She's two years older than I am. But... It's that ageless Asian skin. We can play early 20s to 50s and, like, nobody can tell. I think it's also the fact that everyone, you know, like, we, 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 we cast 20-somethings as our high schoolers. There's just the generic That's young true. person look. Um, but certainly in her fashion choices, I would say she's definitely more Zoomer. Um, there is something uniquely terrifying about somebody dressed in very cutesy, colorful outfits telling you that nothing really matters. And done one way, it's just Harley Quinn from The Suicide Squad. Mm -hmm. But done the way that it's done in this movie, it's it's kind of unnerving. I can get what you're saying there. There's Stephanie Sue is incredibly talented, and and I would say the thing that differentiates her from say a Harley Quinn differentiates her Jobu Topaki, which is such a funny word, so weird. Why would you name your villain that? But anyways, the difference between Jobu Topaki and and Harley Quinn is that when Harley Quinn like does something off key, like you can tell she enjoys it. That's just sort of how she sees the world. When 
Joy slash Jobu does something off key and weird, you just see the complete blank emptiness of her eyes. Like, it's not like she enjoys this. It's that it, you might as well. Like, you might as well. It does not matter. Um, and, and that's something, I've seen this movie like three, maybe four times now. Um, with different members of my family, all of whom went, this is a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. Didn't and that was about as far as they parents? got. Uh, no, I didn't watch it with my mother. My mother would not be able to handle this type of film. Uh, she feels the need to play Candy Crush while watching films as light as like, say, Turning Red because it's stressful. Yeah, no, I, 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 there's a certain hallway fight scene. I just don't see her. Mm, yeah, no, I watched it with my dad and we okay. just, we didn't talk really. <laughs> Especially during that scene. We will never speak of this. <laughs> we will never. Like, but I think he enjoyed it. He, he laughed a lot during the rock scene. But no, I've seen it a couple times. I actually, I took, this is a side note. We can cut this out if we want. But I, the first time I saw this movie was with my grandmother. And I will explain how I managed to make a mistake that this huge. By the way, the scene we're talking about in the hallway involves swords uh, shaped like bouncing um body parts they become dildos they become yes. anatomically correct dildos Incredibly there we, there we go dildos. <laughs> <laughs> i was like there we don't need to make it worse and then you just go <laughs> and they make a weird like they added a weird boing noise in there for you just so you can really enjoy that moment a little more um but the reason uh, the, the <laughs> how i managed to take my grandmother to this film that was absolutely inappropriate and not possible, like just just the worst possible movie for her to see, was that I had seen trailers for this movie and the trailers do a very good job of not giving very much away. So I was like, cool. And I realized that some of this movie is going to be in Chinese. My grandmother speaks Chinese. She doesn't speak much English. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool for her to see a movie that is partially in Chinese and seems to be dealing with intergenerational differences, which it does, right? Uh, and seems it, it's an immigrant story about a mother and a daughter. I, felt, I thought, hmm, these are interesting. So I asked some of my friends who had seen it, which, is what, which was my mistake. I asked some of my friends who have seen it. I have a grandmother who doesn't speak very good English. I was curious as to whether or not you think she could handle this movie. Because I don't actually know how much violence or, like, insanity was going to be in this movie. Right? Maybe they put all of that, all of the most extreme bits into the trailer and there's nothing else. Right? Maybe. Maybe. I asked my friends and they went, yeah, I think she would really like it. I think there's some really wonderful themes in there that she's going to really resonate with. She may not get all of it, but the emotional thread is there. She's going to get that part and I think she's going to really love it. I hate my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I hate them so much. That must have been one hell of a walk, Russ, slash car ride. Oh, it was. Yeah, no, I was I was loving this film. But like halfway through, I was like, this is probably not good for my grandma. I turned to her. She's got her eyes closed. Her hands are over her ears like she is just not having it. And, And to make it worse, this was her first time in a movie theater in five years. You done goofed, yeah. I done goofed, which is why I had to go and watch the movie again later, just to like, just so I had a non-grandma experience, <laughs> where I wasn't spending half my time worrying the about the dildo sword. <laughs> where were we at in the discussion before the dildo swords? Nihilism. <laughs> nihilism. There we go. We were talking about nihilism. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe that's just my very specific read of this movie is, is the fact that it's tackling a Gen Z problem specifically. 
It's interesting because we're not we're, we're we're essentially the same age at this point. I like how you say we're essentially the same age at this point, as if well, we've... we when we were in high school, I was two years ahead of you, and that matters in high school terms. But it doesn't really on 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 the right side of twenty one, it really stops mattering, and after twenty five, no, it really doesn't matter. I was gonna be mean and be like, you can you can tell yourself that if that makes you feel better. Okay, well, I, well I'm almost thirty, but I, and I don't have flawless Asian skin, so I guess I'm just gonna be. <laughs> But anyway, um, anyway. I, certainly in like our, our stages of life, uh, like just like our – not stages of life, concerns in life, I guess I would say. Like mm-hmm. I was very focused on the Evelyn Waymond plot because I've, I've been, been with the, married for a very long time and I have a kid. But, I, but one thing I did notice and really liked, and I think maybe this is kind of the, the alternate perspective on what you just brought up, is I liked that the daughter isn't the good guy. Because like the older I get, the more I'm just like, ugh, I hate young people. <laughs> <laughs> like not in like the not in like the crotchety. Well, it's the crotch. I don't think there's a not crotchety old man sense. But like I have really noticed, especially with some of my students, you know, teaching an empirical science. There's so much just just declaring stuff. Like this is how it is, and I'm like, why is it the way it is? There is very very little value of critical thinking. It's all about well, if I can get enough people to agree with me. I'm correct. What would you expect in a world shaped by Twitter? And it's a trope I really, really hate these days is when the young person teaches the old person. Because like, I think that certainly Evelyn and Joy learn to understand each other. But it, Joy, you know, isn't just this misunderstood little darling who's, you know, just needs her, her mean old mommy to, to, to realize that the youth have it put together. And, and and Evelyn doesn't not without giving up too much away of the ending, the resolution of the conflict doesn't require Evelyn to not be a middle aged woman anymore and to give up her her generational viewpoints. It just requires her to be who she is, and be open with who she is and really be who she is. It's about authenticity, and I really liked that because I it is it is I really don't like the whole. I'm, I'm plucky and young and, you know, the wisdom of youth because I'm like, that's a friggin' oxymoron. And I'm sure in five years I'm going to be going, what was that 29-year-old idiot Aaron thinking? I think you're right, yeah. And, and I think that type of mindset where we put young people on a pedestal, dangerous, incredibly dangerous. And it doesn't help their anxiety at all. Like, it does not help them. But, like, I mean, I've, I've heard conversations about this when it comes to, say, like, the climate conversation because people are always, especially, like, activists are always praising young activists like oh wow the youth will save us and the thing they don't realize about that is the amount of pressure that puts on the youth and i i think that's that's something i enjoy about this film is like you're not seeing a perfect young adult you're seeing a young adult cracking under strain because of the pressure that's put on her by the people around her by society by just living in the world that we live in and for me, a lot of what, like you were saying, it's not about one person bending to the other person's perspective. It's about each of them learning to understand the other person and connecting in a way that is authentic and honest. Um, like th- there's a there's a great moment in the beginning where the mother and the daughter, they get into a fight and uh, Joy gets in the car and is about to leave, you know, in a huff really upset and and Evelyn runs out to her and you think she's going to try to say something to repair their relationship, right? She runs out to the car, runs to her daughter and she's like, I have something to say. And so her daughter's like standing there waiting and Evelyn goes, you need to eat less. You're too fat. 
And it's just like, what? <laughs> and you realize that these two have such a huge communication gap and they really struggle to say, hey, I'm sorry for what I said, or hey, I really miss you, or it's just this this really fun intergenerational, you know, multicultural communication gap that these two have that has to break apart in order to get repaired. And I might be about to walk back because I said it wasn't transgressive, and I well, this isn't transgressive air quotes, but this is something I think is transgressive, is that in fact. Um, you know, again, when they, when they rectify the relationship without giving plot away, there's a part where Evelyn tells Joy, you don't call. You don't ever come around here unless you need something. This is not all on me. Right. And I, I see, and I, you, see, you see that in like a lot of the social discussions around younger millennials and elders and, and all Zoomers pretty much. is like there's a, there's a certain pride. You know, found family is great. I love found family. Some of the people I'm closest to in the world are not my genetic relations. Of course, some of the people I'm closest to in the world are my genetic relations. But, you know, found family, great, wonderful. That does not mean you have to rejoice in cutting off family. And that's sort of become like a mark of pride and I'm like, gosh, I miss my high school days when, when you know, if you wanted to rebel, you just bought eyeliner at Hot Topic and listened to Senses Fail and said it wasn't a phase. Whereas now it's like, like there's a, <laughs> such a genuine pride in cutting off family for the wrong, or even if they did the wrong thing. Right, and because yeah. it gives you a sad origin story. And you know, well, they're toxic. And I'm like, guess what? Everyone in life is going to be a little bit toxic to you, and you are going to be a little bit toxic to them. It's that's the fact. The fact is, humans are not are not basically good. They are not basically evil. They are basically neutral, and we have capacity for good and evil in us, and that includes toxicity. So, suck it up, Buttercup. Like, stop stop viewing yourself as the protagonist the victim in the story and i really liked that they pointed that out and they also pointed out that like everything joy's going through evelyn went through herself and didn't react well to it but i really liked that generational angle because you know our generation the millennials they had their time we had our angst the zoomers are going through their angst uh, it's actually really funny, I think, because I don't. I'm not sure if two generations have ever been the youth together in a way millennials and Zoomers have. Because millennials, we're still. I still hear uninformed boomers waxing eloquent about the millennial generation, and I'm like, yeah, I'm. The the the, the youngest millennials are pushing thirty, kid. Like, <laughs> uh, you you are complaining about Zoomers. I think in relatively uniquely between generations, millennials are seeing in a, in a more real way Zoomers go through the same kind of crap we did mm-hmm. in a sense that like we, have, we haven't even had a chance to forget it before they're going through it. But everyone goes through this. There, there was a Gen mm-hmm. X version of the struggle. There was a baby boomer version of this struggle. There was a greatest generation and, and a middle generation version of this. Like this, this, this goes back to when Cain and Abel were, you know, inventing the drums and Eve told them to stop it like this is as much of a this is a human condition thing and yet every generation thinks that they're that they're doing something new right it's like Roger Daltrey and the who you know a 60 year old song my generation I I really I thought that was such that is kind of transgressive because instead of not only going that the youth are you know the youth aren't the heroes of everything it also kind of goes this has all been done before yeah, and I think to to some extent, you, like you were saying, Evelyn has gone through a lot of what Joy has gone through, but some of it is also understanding how Joy is going through it in a unique way, right? Like, actually, like you were saying earlier that the movie is not about one, like, 
necessarily the older generation learning from the younger generation but in a sense she is like there's actually a huge element of the plot is the fact that jobu right this the, this personification of nihilism that is embodied in her daughter is trying to show evelyn what she sees the fact that she sees every universe at the same time and it is completely overwhelming and that's that's part of this Evelyn's journey is learning to see the universe the way that Joy sees the universe because Evelyn is very much she's very much stuck in the present she's stuck in like I have to do this thing and then I have to do this thing and that thing is falling apart and I have to and she's constantly trying to put out fires in her present to the point where she is ignoring larger problems like her marriage she's ignoring um emotional you know gaps or how do you say this emotional issues with her daughter she's just trying to put out fires where she is whereas joy is sort of living in this eternal endless overwhelming nightmare that is i have i have the internet i have access to essentially all the lives that i could have lived all the lives that i still can live and it's killing me the fact that there is like 15 billion potentials Evelyn's almost at the end of her potent potential, right? To a, to a certain extent, it sounds like she's missed the bus to become a singer, to become an actor, to become all of those things that she wanted to become. Um, and, and a lot of it is about the potential she missed, right? No, I think you're right there. And I certainly, I think there is still old learning from young, but there's also young learning from old. I, I do think there's a sort of idea that it's not so different. The vehicle is different and that mm -hmm. like, yeah, like it's, it's you know, Jobu experiences every we can say that jobu you know has an has an iphone and evelyn didn't you know you know evelyn didn't see every single potential world and jobu does the same way that you know zoomers especially but a lot of millennials too we grew up on the internet in a way that right. the older generations didn't and we're parallel like and in a sense just because we are young and some of our potential is still ahead of us for, for, okay, us millennials, half of that's gone already. But like, say for my sister, a lot of the potential is still ahead and that's paralyzing for her. The fact that she could be anything, right? Like, and there are so many different life paths she could choose. My sister is paralyzed by choice, by, by the idea of, of I have this, this choice, which, for instance, which college I go to could determine the rest of my life. And that makes it really hard to pick a college because I can do infinite amounts of research on where this college could take me versus that, you know, grad school program versus this other thing versus not going to college at all. I can do infinite amounts of research to figure out all the different, like, versions of myself I could become. Whereas my parents' generation, their parents' generation, they don't really have those options. They had a lot fewer options. And as a result, there's like a little bit less paralyzing stress, but there's a sense of being trapped in the option you wound up in. Well, again, the amount of information might be endless like we know that people engage in what we call it counterfactual thinking in psychology you're gonna have to define counterfactual thinking for yeah. me because I, I don't know what that is it's basically imagining what could have been you know counter to fact so in in empiricism and empirical methodology you have counterfactual so you want to ideally you want to actually it's kind of like this the, the the shtick of this movie right you want to you'd love it if you could experiment on the exact same group of people twice exact same group of people with the condition with the treatment or you know and without the treatment or at different levels of the treatment and through random assignment we get to treat them as if they were actually the same random sampling random assignment it's called counterfactuals and counterfactual thinking is basically when we're like we're constantly focused on what would happen to me would i be the exact same person if this had changed or that had changed and that had changed 
And while I think the amount of information for an individual decision might be more for Gen Z, I don't think the weight of those decisions is any less based on the generation. But like looking at past research, we've seen that people's top three regrets are education, career, and um, romance. Mm. And right, people, which is incidentally, I think that the three things Evelyn obsesses the most about. And, and counterfactual thinking can be quite healthy. The question is, is do you think about it in terms of like, yeah, I, but I'd be a totally different person? Or is it, oh, if only I'd made this other choice, if only I'd, you know, in romantic terms is the easiest to describe it, right? Like the one, the one who got away. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, or still carrying a torch for your high school sweetheart, which for some reason is still considered romantic and I think is so fundamentally effed up. Please explain to me, though, how counterfactual thinking can actually be beneficial, though, you because you can you can get more meaning out of life. Like you can realize something else could have changed, mm. but you wouldn't be the same person you are now. Mm. Like, OK, I'm, I'm not 100 percent happy with, you know, the way certain choices I've made have come out. But any one of those choices I've made, I wouldn't be who I am today. Like I'd be somebody so fundamentally unrecognizable to myself. Mm. Do I really regret that I didn't make that other choice? No. Because like, you, you can appreciate that some bad crap might have happened from it, but I am who I am. I, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be me. I'd look similar. But, it's, I don't, but it's a gratitude and contentment yes. mentality. Yes. And I think that's kind of the message of the movie in some right. ways is that we like, are getting she... into spoiler territory. I'm just going to cut you off okay, real quick. There we, go. we are in spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop and go see the movie. Okay, continue. Yeah. I think the message of the movie is kind of learning to be content with where you are because all the universes are based on one individual choice. And she could, like, some of the universes she jumps into are just like hilarious levels of absurd. Like, <laughs> But I, I can't decide if the hot dog fingers universe is my favorite or the the one where they're, the one where they're absolutely like riffing on Ratatouille and the fa- <laughs> <laughs> the all weird all Benny I, all, universe. All I'm saying is the Randy Newman, i.e., the guy who sang "You've Got a Friend in Me," playing a talking raccoon in a Ratatouille spoof. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, that all being said, you know. It's easy to get distracted by the fun nature of these universes, or the comedy of these universes, but the message is that be happy with who you are and the choices you made because you wouldn't be you. And I, I think that that's kind of her, her arc in some ways. I would add to that. It's not just gratitude and, and satisfaction in where you are. It's not like a singular thing. I think you get to the ultimate conclusion of the movie, the ultimate you know, mother and daughter make up and the universe is all stabilized, all of that happens not because of something they figure out for themselves, it's because of what they do for each other, right? It's this connection that Evelyn insists on having with her daughter, despite the fact that their relationship is messed up and complicated and weird and they don't understand each other all the time. But every the the resolution of the movie springs from, and it sounds so corny to say this, but it springs from love. Love, Harry. Love. <laughs> Don't make fun of me. It springs from, in this, in this chaotic world where everything, every universe is possible, everything is overwhelming, and there's nothing to anchor us. The one thing that can, that can anchor us, the one thing that can help us make sense of the universe is caring for one another. 
I mean, that's a huge turning point within the movie is being kind, is this concept of being kind, especially when we don't know what's going on, which I'm sorry, the first time I got to that point in the movie, it broke me. I think I just like, I just broke down in sobs when that came out because there's, okay, there's a character we haven't been talking about in, in this movie, which is um, Evelyn's husband, Waymond. Um, and he's, he comes off as just like this silly, happy, kind of frivolous type of person like he puts lovable doofus he's a lovable, lovable doofus. yes lovable doofus is, is is exactly right he like puts googly eyes on the laundry to make it look happy right he just does like really silly like whimsical things that are just very unhelpful to evelyn because she's an incredibly practical person um so Evelyn's trying to, you know, as we get through the movie, Evelyn's, Evelyn's, her mind is getting more and more fractured by all these universes. Her her struggle against her daughter is getting huge and, and having bigger and bigger implications that everybody is screaming and fighting and doing weird shit. Sorry, weird stuff. Um, And then, like, somewhere in the middle of it, Waymond, her husband, just asks, like, just kind of cries out that, like, can we just stop and be kind to one another and it's kind of cut they cut it in a really interesting way where it's kind of blended with a bunch of things that Waymond is doing in different universes and different versions of himself but there's this understanding that his like his weird silly lovable thing it isn't it isn't just like a thing he naturally does that's how he fights is what he says like that's that's his way of making it through the world that is crazy and overwhelming and painful and awful is to be kind to others and to care for others and, and in his weird silly way that's how he's slowly repairing the universe um and that moment is is kind of a game changer in the film it, it radically changes the way that evelyn goes through the rest of the movie and it impacts how she talks to her daughter later which is that i get it i get that the universe you live in is crazy and doesn't make sense i get that our relationship doesn't make sense as a mother and daughter i get that you know, things are overwhelming and awful and strange. And maybe there's like a thousand other universes where we don't even exist. But no matter what, I still want to be in this universe here with you. So it's 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 love that really brings them back to to anchor them into the universe that they are in, to give them that sense of gratitude. It's not just something they can find for themselves. It's something they sort of have to give each other. And yeah, that's my long rant about why I cry watching this movie every time I watch this movie. Yeah, I didn't. I can't say I cried during this movie, but I appreciated the scenes that you were mentioning. I thought they were very touching. Uh, I I especially liked that the dad wasn't just a doofus. Like that they mm-hmm. they 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 redeemed that arc very well. I thought. I don't really have much more to say about this, honestly. I think it's just it's it's a good movie. Everyone should see it, especially in a world not to sound grumpy and old again, but like in a world where everything is Marvel or some franchise, this was very refreshing to watch. You are not allowed to complain about how Hollywood isn't original anymore until you've seen this film, because this is maybe one of the most original films I've ever seen. And it came out this year. So do you have anything particular about which you wish to kvetch? Things about which I would like to kvetch... Mm, do you have one? I'm, I'm, I have to. I think. do. Yes, I do. Oh, okay. You're always ready. I, You're always ready with a catch. Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, that is your name. We could be here all day about that. Uh, I mean, Please, this one you sure. probably you probably heard. Actually, probably a few people um, 
listening to the podcast are familiar with this one, but uh, since July 24th, 2022, my gym has been playing Christmas music. And I don't mean just like the occasional song, I mean like a lot and a variety of Christmas music. Why? I don't know. So the, Who's the first, in charge of your gym's music? I don't know, but the thing is, like, uh, the, two of the people who are in charge of it are Muslims. So I am even more confused. One of them is wearing a hijab. Is this a weird way of converting people to Islam? By being like, <laughs> think about how awful Christianity is that they created this awful music and they make you listen to it for half the year? The seven, the, of the seven pillars of Islam, Mariah Carey was present in none of them. <laughs> Uh, but like the first day I was kind of like, oh, I guess the 24th, like sure, Christmas in July, whatever, Gentile nonsense. I go to the gym between three to six times a week and every time I'm at the gym, there's Let It Snow, Jingle what Bell Rock. What What is that song? Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, whatever the hell well, it is. Well, see, now I have to play the entire song in my no. head in order to figure out what the title of the song sleigh is. Bells, and now I'm mad at maybe? I don't no, know. No, it's... Sleigh ride. It's the sleigh, sleigh ride. Sleigh ride, right, right. There's been like patriotic Christmas hit songs like the Toby it, Keith. Who is running your gym? <laughs> I don't because know, they need but I feel like I'm in a punished. massive psyop. But I, I'm there. And like some guys, just, he just drops, the, he's on the Smith machine, which is like squat racks for those of us who are wusses. And he just like drops it and he's just like, it is effing september because they were playing let it snow and the next version <laughs> of the next song was just another version of let it snow and oh like oh my gosh I, and like here's the thing i have first of all i just lost my shit i lost my crap i started laughing my butt off i was like like i was like what the <laughs> hell am i in so to whoever is running west houston planet fitness's music you are a bad person <laughs> And who hurt you? Because I hope that they hurt you again. I like Christmas, I but I firm belief that you should not hear Christmas music until, at the very least, the day after Thanksgiving. Hopefully not until, like, December 10th. Advent, and then, like, I will give you the 12 days of Christmas after Christmas. I don't want any Christmas music after Christmas. The second Christmas happens, like, the day after Christmas, you switch to generic winter music. Like... Silver Bells. That's generic winter music. It can still oh. be festive, but you can't mention Christmas anymore because it's not coming. Like, but there are 12 days of it, so... It... That's fair. There we go. Um, my kvetch... Uh... This isn't even an interesting... Interest... Interesting? What, what am I saying? It's not even an interesting kvetch. It's just... I had a project get pulled out from under me this past week because HBO is merging or has merged and therefore they're pulling their budgets really tight. So I had a project that we were supposed to pitch to HBO and because of H what's happening with HBO and because of the fact that Hollywood hates period dramas until a good one comes out and then suddenly it loves them for all of five seconds and then immediately goes back to hating them. Um, but HBO's new mandate is only contemporary stuff. And so I cannot do my conspiracy thriller about the Manhattan Project. Despite the fact that Christopher Nolan is making a literal biopic about Oppenheimer 
I am not allowed to do my Manhattan Project conspiracy thriller. Have you considered throwing in a ton of nudity? If it would work, I am this close to letting it happen. <laughs> just, just, just two people going at it as an atomic bomb test. <laughs> Wait, that was Watchmen. Never mind. Um, so yes, that's my that's my sad, non-interesting, non-humorous kvetch is Hollywood hates history for some reason. Unless it's sad. They, they don't like fun, thrilling, weird corners of history. Anyways, so that's my, that's my thing is I'm, I'm mad at Hollywood right now. Good thing you live in California and work as a screenwriter. <laughs> Get me out of here. It's <laughs> awful here. All um, right. Well. <laughs> let us know if you have any thoughts on what our next episode should be. We do take suggestions. We don't necessarily use the suggestions but we will I mean, take them we sort of did severance on a suggestion so we, we take suggestions they just have to be good suggestions like yeah. if you request that i'm not watching bridgerton but you know if there's something else that you like please feel free to reach out to us at psych and cinema at gmail.com otherwise insert clever outro all right bye guys <laughs>